whoever is keep pounding 88 in CSR1 has not made a transaction all season. I'm playing against them this week. They have Dalvin Cook, Ezekiel Elliott, and Michael Crabtree. <laughs> he scored 146 points on me. Wow. I'm going to lose. Badly. He had five players combined for 145 points. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about like mine. Jesus Christ. That's the kind of shit that happens to me every single time. I have a good <laughs> week, and then my opponent scores 200 on me. <laughs> Let's go! Newton has to play action fake. Zip the pass into him. Yes, touchdown to Greg Olson. Wilson just got it away. There's Keith Lee. Hello and welcome to the Fourth and Short Podcast. This is Brian. I'm joined by Brad and John. How you guys doing tonight? Were you hoping that somebody would bite and say something or, or what? I was actually worried that my sound had cut out and I was about <laughs> to start talking and be like, hey, are you doing it or not? I was about to be like, I was about to say, I'm not going to say anything. And I was like, wait, no, no, he's just waiting for me to say something and then he's going to. Apparently my yeah. uh, apparently my my headphones did not pick up that I was trying to rickroll you guys. So, uh, right. no, they did not. I heard a very right. faint sound, but I thought it was just like background noise. No, I, I was trying to play. It doesn't matter anyway. Um, <laughs> so, you gotta test that beforehand. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't know. I mean, normally it picks it up pretty well when I'm trolling people on PS4 with it. But uh, anyway, um, <laughs> so. Panthers just beat the Jets in what was an ugly, ugly game. Um, they basically won because of Kalen Clay and Luke Keekley. So, hey, the Panthers players too counts all the same. That's true. That's true. A win's a win, especially now with the NFC being such a surprisingly close race up at the top. So, I'm I'm but, very upset about how close that race is up top. Especially in the NFC South. I mean, yeah, it's like we're eight and three. We should be like cruising to a playoff berth. We shouldn't be like, ah, let's see, we gotta hope some stuff bounces our way. Make sure we don't fall out of the playoff race. <laughs> yeah, if we were in the AFC, we'd already have a playoff spot locked up. I mean, it's, pretty much, it's crazy. Yep, yep. We the Panthers will play the Saints next week. Eight at both teams being eight and three. And the Falcons will play the Vikings. The Falcons are seven and four. The Vikings are nine and two. All of those teams are in the conversation for top of the NFC right now. It's just—it's kind of funny. Oh. Real, I mean, I know we need to get into the Jets game, but real quick, it's basically like a round robin of NFC playoff teams. Like from Philadelphia to Seattle, like one through seven, everybody has at least two games against one of the other teams in the top seven in the NFC. Yeah, that oh, to me really makes it exciting. It's going to be fun. Yeah. It's going to be, be very stressful fun. for us, but it's going to be fun. <laughs> we, we've got a gauntlet coming up. Yeah, but that's the thing. is, like, So does everybody else. Yeah. We're going to separate. Bullshit NFC, or that bullshit AFC. <laughs> and their guys, we're going we're gonna, to like stumble into the playoffs. But, you know, that's a conversation for a different day, I guess. Um, so, yeah. I did learn an interesting factoid about after we beat the Jets. Um, There have been eight teams that are not in the AFC East in the history since 2002, since we realigned conferences and divisions. Uh, Eight teams have swept the AFC East in one year. Of those eight, Carolina is one of them. So of the other seven, five of them have played in their conference championship game, and three of them have won the Super Bowl. So that's a weird, very relevant stat. Yeah, it is. I, I saw it earlier today on Twitter. I can't remember. I think it was NFL research that tweeted it, but um, it could be relevant to us, you know, in a couple of months. So, you know, you heard it here first. If, if you sweep the AFC East, playoffs, yeah. you sweep the AFC East, you're in fact good. You did. 
And I think it's funny that the the game that we struggled with the most, and this is a good segue, but the the team we struggled with the most was the freaking Jets. Like of all three of the other AFC East teams, we you know we beat them. Uh, we we routed Miami. We we beat New England soundly. We let them come back a little bit at the end, but and then Buffalo, we just you know outclassed them on defense. But we seemed to struggle, you know, yesterday against the the quote unquote worst team in the division. So there there's a little bit of quote panthering in there yeah i was gonna say that's that's panthers in a nutshell yeah that's that's the panthers way yep they they do a fine job against julio jones and the falcons but josh mccown and robbie anderson oh that that's the problem right dynamic there. duo among the among the yeah. best <laughs> they're both going to canton together <laughs> as, a, as a duo they don't make it in on their own individual merits, but when you put the two together, they share a bust. Yep. Might as well. I mean, McCown was one of, like, I think three quarterbacks this this season who's thrown for over 300 yards against the Panthers. Um, let's see here. It hasn't we been seem many. to have a problem with the McCown family because Luke <laughs> McCown did that a couple of years ago when with New Orleans. So... Have 19 of 36 does. for 307 yards, three touchdowns, and Robbie Anderson had six receptions for 146 yards and two touchdowns. Robbie Anderson like, what the hell? was pretty – he's pretty good. He's pretty good, yeah, but that one touchdown he got, the second one was comical how how bad that play was. <laughs> Kirk, <laughs> Coleman, Kirk Coleman just decided, like, uh, that's I've done enough I'm of tired of chasing thing. him, yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna run forward a little bit for no real reason. Full credit to Thomas Davis on that play, though he was only like a half a second away from breaking it up because he he got a rush on McCown, but you know there's yeah. only so much you can do when nobody's covering a wide open guy 30 yards downfield. My favorite yeah, thing McCown... about that. Oh, go ahead, Brian. No, you're fine. Go ahead. The, my favorite thing about that is Kurt Coleman got caught with his eyes in the backfield, and w- with his eyes in the backfield, he should have clearly seen Josh McCown pointing, saying, go deep. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, he was standing right in front of him. It's funny with Josh McCown, or really the McCowns in general, because well, I should say Josh McCown, because he had that play, but he also had the play where he was already, like, essentially – 75% of the way through getting sacked and decided to try and throw the ball and fumbled it, which Luke Keekley then took back for a touchdown, which is something that he did when he was with the Bucks, when he was about to get, he was basically already sacked and decided to try and throw a pass up and Roman Harper intercepted it. And one of the more comical plays I've seen by a Buccaneers quarterback. And it just seems like McCown has one of those in him every time he plays the Panthers. McCown is one of those guys that's so funny because he gets that reputation of being like a good locker room guy, good, smart, heady veteran and all that stuff. And he makes some of the weirdest, most boneheaded decisions. He's very much like Ryan Fitzpatrick. Yes, that's a good comparison. Like he did it like the fumble where I don't know what he was trying to do by switching hands of the ball while he was getting sacked. He also has he's good for a couple of plays. He did a couple of times on Sunday where he's just kind of like, I'm going to throw it to this guy. And it has, doesn't matter what's going on. You can put all 11 players on that guy, and he'll still throw it to him. There were a couple times he threw it into like triple coverage to a player that was at no point anywhere near open during the play. And he's always done that. It's, it's the weirdest thing. It's like when he got himself concussed against the, against the, I want to say it was the Bengals, when he was a Browns quarterback. He just like decided to just try to dive for the end zone and get himself destroyed <laughs> for it. Yeah. Some some questionable decisions. I mean, he's but it's, it's worked for him this year. Yeah, I mean, no one would have expected them to be in this position. Like we all thought they'd have maybe one win coming into this game. So, props to him and props to the Jets for not totally sucking. Um, but I will let's let's get into the Panthers version part of this because they weren't exactly on their best uh, playing style either. I mean, like. Cam Newton threw 28 passes and completed 11 of them. Like, seven of which were to thrown to Devin Funches. So, literally, Cam completed four passes to people other than Devin Funches on Sunday. 
Like it wasn't great. That that that's putting it mildly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it seems like Cam Newton's thumb may have been more of a problem than people realized. And because there there were plays where like the one example, the glaring example, was when Greg Olson was like open in the end zone, and and Cam just missed him. Like I think he threw maybe a yard too far and it would have been an easy touchdown completion instead Olsen just it was just an incomplete pass and I believe they kicked a field goal um to elaborate on on that point uh receivers Cam when throwing to people were not named Devin Funches um four completions on 15 targets that's not good that's barely that's less than a third yeah, that's that's really bad. I, I know, I know people like to hate on him and harp on completion percentage, but you know they have a point on that one. That's that's a bad stat. Four for fifteen is pretty low. Is an unacceptable completion percentage. Yes, and you know I'm not making excuses for him because you know why should I? Um, but I I do think his thumb was the biggest problem yesterday. It was clearly bothering him. Uh, luckily. Uh, you know, Kalen Clay and Luke Keekley made those two two touchdowns in the second half. Otherwise, we would probably be very upset today. That's how bad most of the team was for most of the day. We would be hearing a lot of Derek Anderson, Garrett Gilbert talk right now if yeah. uh, we lost that <laughs> game. And the crazy, the, the sad part is too, like uh, the rushing game wasn't all that bad. I mean, like. Jonathan Stewart still went went back to his whole like averaging less than two yards per carry deal, but like Christian McCaffrey seemed to run well, but most of his yards came on a forty yard carry. Like we see flashes of what this team can be, but then we see Cam Newton either missing passes or Cam throwing a ball to an open receiver and they drop it. You know, yeah. Well, I, don't know it's how, a... I don't know how long this can last with. Carolina not being able to find themselves when the Atlanta Falcons and the and the New Orleans Saints both po- both boast like really polished offenses. Well, contrary to what uh, Thom Brenneman and his Debbie Downer self would have you believe, McCaffrey did run pretty well aside from the forty yard run. Um, he had so six carries. Re- I'm just curious. What? That was a bad run. No, like I said, he had the forty yard run and that was good and. I know listening to the broadcast on Sunday, um, Tom Brenneman made it sound like that was the only positive play he like the running backs had made. Um, he still averaged, he was six carries for f- 22 yards, which is a smidge under four, which yeah. is not bad for a guy when you've taken out his best carry of the game. Um, so he was, he, he consistently moved the ball and then he broke out the one big play. Um, and what I'm trying to say is if you, his his six worst carries averaged to be about the same as Jonathan Stewart's single best carry for the game, which was four yards. Yep. Jonathan Stewart is good on the goal line, I, I guess is the best way is the best the best the best praise I can give to him at this point. He still he still can make plays on the goal line, but it seems like the offense really needs to move on from from him and move on more towards McCaffrey and Artis Payne as the primary guys, and Artis Payne only got one carry on on Sunday, which he gained nothing on. But yeah, it's hard I would... for me to fall to running back for that because running backs generally are used to like getting into a groove with running the ball. So, yeah, and then yeah, I would like to see them move to a more of a fifty-fifty split for carries, and then let Cameron Artis Payne, you know sprinkle in a, a couple like maybe a, a drive like one drive each half maybe Jonathan Stewart carried the ball 15 times on Sunday which yes aside from Cam Newton the next highest number of touches was Christian McCaffrey with seven which mm. we've seen over the last few weeks that McCaffrey has been more effective than Jonathan Stewart yeah so McCaffrey in the last three weeks his yards per carry has been 4.4, 4.6, 8.9. So consistently good and trending in the right direction. Jonathan Stewart had that great 6.5 yards per carry, that 100-yard game against the Dolphins. On either side of it, he averaged 1.9 yards per carry and 1.7 yards per carry, 
with a long of nine yards against the Falcons and a long of four yards against the Jets. Agreed. It just seems like they're trying too hard to keep him involved. Like, Mm -hmm. it's okay to have him, like, carry the ball five, six, seven times a game. Like, yeah, not like he's not like he can't contribute, but like they just they seem really intent on making him the bell cow still, and it's clearly not working. Like the Dol- not every team they're gonna play is gonna be the Dolphins, you know. Yeah, the Dolphins <laughs> look very disinterested in doing anything on Monday night that game. Yeah, it's almost like they don't understand the concept of a sunk cost. You know, mm-hmm. they've already spent the money, so they. I guess they feel like, well, we've already paid the guy. We need to get everything we can out of him. You know, you don't have to do that. Uh, you know, you've already paid the money. If if you're not going to get any production, it's okay to just chalk it up as a loss and do what you two have already said and go to a Christian McCaffrey, Cameron Artis Payne, you know, split. And, and, you know, just let Jonathan Stewart be our Mike Tolbert until it's – economically responsible to get rid of him because that's the next step in this. Well, that should be, I should say, should be the next <laughs> step in this. It won't be because Jonathan Stewart obviously has keys to Charlotte. And, um, but, he's got naked, you know. He's got naked it, pictures of Jerry Richardson too, by the way. Yeah, I, he has to because, you know, I, I didn't get too hyped up about his, his game against Miami. And I, I thought he looked good. I thought he ran well. But like we've talked about, it didn't really prove that anything other than he had a good game. And I still hold to my newly formed opinion due to John's incessant beating me over the head with it that Jonathan Stewart is done. Damn right. His returns of his or rumors of his resurrection were greatly exaggerated. Yes. He's averaging 2.8 yards per carry against the not Miami Dolphins this year. So Ouch. since we want to, since we want to be pessimistic, let's start with the pessimistic piece of this. Good segue. Good job, um, Ryan. You're really growing into this hosting a podcast <laughs> role. All right, it's been a great show, guys. Signing off. Working <laughs> for a podcast. Note. Buy our t-shirts. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so I'll start with Brad since he wasn't overly talkative. Aside from the very end there, um, who are you most pessimistic about following the Jets game? Cam. Damn, just came right out with it. All right, yeah. go ahead. I mean, he looked awful. I mean, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt because I think his thumb played a huge role in it. But he looked awful yesterday. Like, he couldn't – if it wasn't Devin Funches, and we've already said this, but if it wasn't Devin Funches, he could not complete a pass for anything. He missed wide open Greg Olson. He missed wide open Christian McCaffrey. He missed Ed Dixon. I mean, he just – he could not find open – receivers. Now, Ed Dixon did not do him any favors. I will also hate on Ed Dixon. Um, we can go into more detail with that later. I'm sure one of you will probably pick Ed Dixon as your pessimistic because he made some plays that I honestly believe he shouldn't have been allowed to come back to Charlotte. Um, but, you know, overall, it falls on the shoulders of the quarterback, uh, and, and Cam Newton was not responsible for us winning that game. He he had a rushing touchdown, and that's and he had a couple of good throws to Devin Funches, and other than that, he had nothing worth being happy or positive about at all. Yeah, he was. Yeah, I forgot about the thumb injury too, and I was just like, "Dang, what is wrong with him?" And then it just kind of clicked. It was like, "Oh, I wonder if that." Yeah, it if had it's to. not a coincidence that because he was, it wasn't like this is the norm from this year. Like he was, he's been precise. And pretty sharp the last few weeks. I don't think it's yeah. coincidence that out of nowhere. Yeah, uh, it, it was. It was. It had to be. Um, yeah, it had to be because he, like you said, he it just, you know, three or four weeks in a row he's been lights out, and then he he lays that egg, and he just, it, it the the thumb is the only explanation. Either that, or he's forgotten how to play football, and we we're in really big trouble. He, he didn't play for two whole weeks. He uh, yeah, I'd have forgotten. I wonder what's wrong with it, though. It's very odd that he just came out of the bye week with a thumb injury he didn't have before the bye week. I, I mean, do. he might have burned his thumb serving turkey to, to the kids or something. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. but I, I do want to segue into who I'm pessimistic about just because it kind of goes hand-in-hand hand with what you said, Brad. Um, offensive line 
looked like shit against the Jets. Like, Cam only, and I say only, like, in the most liberal sense possible, he was only sacked three times, but he should have been sacked a hell of a lot more by that front seven. Like, I, I, I get the whole, I get the ideas that, like, Cam Newton wasn't throwing well. He definitely wasn't, but he was under pressure. I, I can recall, at least in the first half, he was under pressure almost the whole game, like, when he tried to drop back. There were times that the protection held up for him, but, like, I remember seeing all three of those good Jets offensive or defensive linemen in his face many, many times. He was running for his life at times. It's like, you can't, you can't expect your quarterback to be a precision passer and making those, like, crisp, um, precise throws when he's got people all over him all the time. And it just, it kind of drove me nuts because, like, the Panthers have done well against like front against good front sevens, but the Jets just got after him in that game. Like they could have scored fifty points if Cam wasn't under as much pressure as he was in that game. It was very reminiscent of early twenty sixteen or twenty seventeen and all of twenty sixteen, where it was just like every drop back is just a mess around him. And he's gotta kinda navigate through everything before he can even start to look for receivers. Exactly. And like they had a, a few good plays, like, for example, the, the big rush by McCaffrey was sprung by Andrew Norwell on a great block. Um, he did have time at times to throw the ball deep down the field, which is something he's pretty good at. But it's just not – that's not feasible against teams like – against the good teams in the NFC. Like, you can't – you're not going to, to score 35 points against them when your offense is constantly allowing your quarterback to be under pressure. Yeah, it's not a recipe for success. Um, I have no segue to my pessimistic thing, but mine's Daryl Worley. Can't blame you there. I, I can't blame you there. I, I'm sure I don't know how, like, I because he's a corner. I can't. I didn't see him on an uh every single snap basis thing, but he had a sequence where he like single handedly let the Jets drive down the field. <laughs> yes. Yeah, like, he got burned badly on, I think he got burned badly by, like, Jermaine Curse, and then he committed a penalty, and then he got beat again. I don't know, it was just, he made, like, three consecutive bad plays that put the Jets from, like, their own 40 into, like, goal-to-go territory. Now we know why Kevon Seymour might take his spot. Yes. It's sad. <laughs> yeah, Worley, Worley likes to complain about platooning with Kevon Seymour, but, you know, buddy, you need to watch the game film from Sunday, and you'll see why. Because I honestly believe it's time to just let Seymour be it full-time, and Worley needs to be relegated to special teams. He needs to get the Teddy Williams treatment. Especially if we were going more man-to-man, which we are. Worley, they even said it, that they, they like Worley as his own quarterback. And we don't play that much zone. I mean, we play a little bit, but we kind of do that. Like CP talked about all the pattern matching we do. Uh, he can't. He doesn't seem to stick well with guys at all. Worley is a better rush defender than Kevon Seymour. I, I'd argue that he's the best rush defender the Panthers have right now as a cornerback. But that's not enough to keep you on the field as a as a full time starter. Like you have to be able to cover passes. You have to be able to drive down on the underneath routes when they are thrown to you. And I agree. I mean, I didn't see much of, I didn't see much from Worley aside from some good plays and run defense on Sunday where I would think that he should be starting for Carolina. Yeah. I know he had one nice pass break, I think, but it just, as a corner, it's one of those things like if you get noticed, you're probably doing poorly. And he got noticed a lot, um, at least on my TV on Sunday. Yeah. Yeah, and not having Munderland around definitely sucked too because it, it did it, make a difference. Yeah, because it it kind of forced those two Bradbury and Worley to be more like effective because they didn't have Munderland in the inside bailing them out at times. So I agree. Put, I think Worley. It also put Shaq on the in the in the slot a couple times, and there's one time where he uh, never got within like eight yards of the guy he was supposed to cover. <laughs> Oh, man, uh, it sucks that Worley isn't doing so well. Hopefully, it take, he takes his time and starts to progress a little bit. But so far, there isn't really much telling me that he should be playing over Kevon Seymour. 
No, um, I agree with that. Because Seymour, if if what the coaches say about the whole man coverage thing is to be believed, you would think that letting him and James Bradbury play man coverage more would, would behoove the defense because then they're not allowing the offense to take advantage of zones and holes in zones, which is something that Drew Brees is going to do to them. So. Yeah. But who, who you feel better about? Who's your optimistic, Brian? <laughs> so, I'm going to take the easy route here, but it's mainly because I actually just, I've felt very strongly that moving on from Calvin Benjamin did make sense, and I feel like Devin Funches has been more effective now that he's taking on that role. But yeah, Devin Funches. Um, and the one thing that I can point out as evidence there is there was a play against the Jets where Devin Punches running a route again, isolating coverage against one of the one of the Jets corners. And he looked back at Cam Newton after about a five to six, seven yard um route, which the corner then stopped because it seemed like the corner was going to try and jump the route. And then Devin Punches continued to go. He pushed himself forward and made a catch on what was essentially just a go route. Like it was a, just a straight run straight down the field type play. Like that's not anything that's hard to defend or telegraph. When someone's running straight down the field, you just have to run with them. And he did a really good job intellectually of getting that, of getting himself open. Like it wasn't like he ran a great route. He just did something, a very nuanced thing to get himself open. And what I see with that is, Funches is a, is a very similar player to Kelvin Benjamin in his size and his speed, but he's doing more of the things that get him open than Kelvin Benjamin was. And I think that's why Funches has flourished so much over the last few weeks, because now he has the opportunity to really show what he's got. And he's only 23 years old, by the way. Like, this, they could sign him to a five-year contract after this after next season and he would still only be 28 29 at the end of that contract like the panthers can lock him in and keep him around for a long time and not worry about age catching up to him i said devin funches was bad at the beginning of the season uh he's proved me wrong so i i've been very exactly happy about his uh Breaking out since Kelvin Benjamin's been gone. If um, extrapolating is always accurate, and we're going to extrapolate big time here, his three game stretch since we got rid of Benjamin, uh, or if you took that to like a whole 16 game season, he would finish the season with 91 catches for 1,500 yards. Oh, so he's basically Megatron now that we basically. don't have Kelvin Benjamin. Okay, great. Basically. <laughs> He's averaging five and a half catches and ninety-five yards a game. So yeah, that comes out for a full sixteen-game season. It's uh, over ninety, ca- over ninety catches and over fifteen hundred yards. So that's that's good. He's been playing more, well. Yeah, an even more impressive stat. I have him on my fantasy team, and his production hasn't. Nobody cares about your fantasy off team. of a cliff. No, I'm saying he. <laughs> usually, when I have you on my fantasy team, your production falls off of a cliff, and he he has risen above that. So. <laughs> He he's even better than the curse of me. So, you know, he, like, he's first ballot Hall of Famer. It's like Josh Gordon going off for sixteen hundred yards on the Browns. Exactly. Factory of Bradness, factory of sadness. It's all the same. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> all right, John. Uh, who are you? Who are you optimistic about? Um, we already talked about Christian McCaffrey. He would be a good candidate. Um. I'm going to say Julius Peppers because he's been quiet for a while and I was happy to see him get another sack. And he made a couple good run stops too. Three, so, three tackles, one sack, one tackle for a loss, one quarterback hit. Yeah, it's not bad. For a not bad. It's, yeah, especially when he's uh, 56 years old. Could have swore he was 57. I mean, he could be. He did have a birthday. Um... It's it's one of those things where it's like you don't you know he with how old he is it's very easy for him to slow down as the season's gone on which he kind of has. It was nice for him to to reappear. 
And I left I left the easy one for for Brad that I know you're gonna pick. Well, I was gonna say Kalen Clay. That was, that was yeah exactly. I I've always liked him. I liked him in the preseason. I was actually upset that we got rid of him. I I thought you know you know I thought it was a mistake to trade him. Uh, long you know looking back on it, we actually stole Kevon Seymour from the Bills because we got Clay back. Hashtag but, plug in my Twitter there. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's at Brian Beversluis. At Brian Beversluis. Yeah. Good Follow him on Twitter because he's sad and he doesn't have any friends. So. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I'm. If Kalen Clay can turn into a good slot number three receiver, you know, he could be a better Philly Brown. And that's really all that we need him to be. Uh, we we need somebody to fill that Ted Ginn role, and I think he can do it. Uh, he looked amazing on that punt return yesterday. Um, it's not often you see like a legitimate Madden circle button spin move in a real football game. Yeah, I, know. I was I was just about to say that that legit looked like that like stock animation where you hit you hit circle at just the right time and the defender gets juked out of his jock strap. That was exactly yeah. what that looked like. The only I, other I, one I can think of is Braxton Miller a couple years ago when he was still at Ohio State. Yeah, Other than that, I, I you, actually you felt that bad for the guy who tried to tackle him. <laughs> the poor long snapper. He dove at, at and he he dove at him and he just he got air and you know it was sad. And then he, he, he just face planted and lit on his face. It was terrible. It was not a good look. I will say I I agree. I was actually thinking that myself today about the whole Philly Brown point, like. Carolina obviously misses Ted Ginn, um, but Kalen Clay brings a lot to the table that Philly Brown did and Ted Ginn did. Like that, that twenty-something yard rush by him as well was another one where like they were able to utilize the speed they have on offense because teams are going to always game plan for Cam Newton. They're always going to be keyed in on him. So those. Wide receiver reverses seem like they're just not going to go away. Like you, you. I feel like every time they run one, at least one in a game, they're going to get a decent gain out of it. And Clay didn't catch the one ball that was thrown to him, or the one ball that he could have caught. But he's definitely giving. He's definitely giving himself plenty of reasons to get more opportunities. And Carolina needs that speed threat, especially now that Curtis Samuel isn't around. And that big game for him is going to be a confidence booster, and I really hope that Carolina tries to involve him more after that. Yeah, he. I like that reverse. The fact that we let Cam Newton run now makes that reverse so much more effective. And then when you have guys like we don't have like Samuel and now Kalen Clay that are that fast, there's no reason that if we run that play once every two to three games, when you know after it's kind of been dormant for a while, that we can't average like 25 yards of play on that play. Because in in the moment, the defense is going to be like Cam Newton's keeping this ball. Let's get after yeah. it. So it makes sense for that receipt that forgotten receiver like Christian McCaffrey running that route. Probably not going to work as well. But like Kalen Clay, defenses aren't going to be thinking about that in the moment. They're going to be thinking about mm-hmm. Cam Newton. So yeah, especially yeah with how well he's been running the ball. Definitely, uh, something they have to account for. What did you guys think of the play calling? Speaking of those reverses and stuff, what's your Shul- what's our Shuler review say? Great segue. Uh, I'm Great I'm segue. actually gonna I'm gonna probably go against the grain here with Mike Shula. I thought of he course. called a pretty good game. I mean, there were there were some ideas he had that were good ideas, and Cam just missed, or Ed Dixon didn't get open, or didn't try, or you know, things like that. I don't think there was any problem with the with the play calling. So You're really beefing with Ed Dixon, huh? Yeah. Gonna try to have a Twitter war with him? A little Twitter no, feed. he probably would quit before he got to the, the finish line if we did. Oh, <laughs> well, he would wait until after you already, like, blocked him, and then he would reply. Yeah. After it wasn't, after it didn't matter anymore. Ed Dixon, we love you. We're all being sarcastic, by the way. No, I'm not. Jokes. I, I think he should be cut. <laughs> Jesus. That's, that's okay. That hurts, man. 
Well, let's let's go get ahead it, and do man it. Hurts. Get it? <laughs> yeah, that was great. Um, well done. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you're going for two in a game where you're. Well, first of all, he shouldn't have been put in the situation because Graham Gano should make extra points. But it would be his job, yes. That is his job. Harrison Butker would have made that extra point. Oh my God. At me. Let it go. No, Actually, no, we, no, no, no. We haven't talked about the kicker. Uh, the, the kicking decision has not been discussed enough either on this podcast or Cats Got Trader as a whole. I think we need to visit it for a good 20 to 30 minutes. I think well, we that's can a visit great it after idea. Brad's point. All right. Yeah. <laughs> you need a two point conversion because your kicker missed an extra point. The. The Panthers have the ball. Cam throws it to you. First of all, why are you running a one-yard route on a two-point conversion from the two-yard line? Why are you not in the end zone? Second of all, when you catch it and you run towards the goal line and you get hit by a defender, why do you not outstretch your arm? All he had to do was stretch his arm out, you know, eight inches, a foot, whatever, and it's a two-point conversion because he barely got stopped before he crossed the line. Why isn't there any effort there? Why are you being lazy? Why are you not giving everything you've got for for those points? And it those things bother me more than the the lack of talent. Like, you know, Brian, you know, brace yourself. But like Brenton Burson, that's one oh of the reasons I like. That's one of the reasons I like Brenton Burson because you can see the effort, you can see the hustle. You can he's not the best receiver on the team, but he doesn't quit. That's not true. And I don't like quitters. That's why I didn't like Kelvin Benjamin. I don't like quitters. Yeah, you're you're playing a game, you're getting paid millions of dollars, but if you're not going to do that extra go the extra mile in a game that really was a must win game. If we want to be honest, Carolina had to win yesterday because, or Sunday, because you're going to listen to this on Tuesday. Um, maybe Wednesday. Don't, or don't maybe Wednesday depends listening. on how lazy John is. But, um, you know, if we would have lost to New York, we would be facing, we would be, you know, seven and four, and we would be facing New Orleans and then Minnesota. And Atlanta is also seven and four. So we had to be eight and three. We had no choice. And Ed Dixon could have cost us the game. And it's it's stuff like that, to me, you should be demoted. He's actually lucky that Greg Olson re-injured his foot because now we need him. And, you know, if it were up to me, he probably would be either released or benched for the rest of the year just because he didn't <laughs> try. That's 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 a that's a fire take if you're a coach. Um, I thought it was I don't know if it was an effort or just a poor awareness thing. Because it could have been was. that it could have been awareness. He could have thought he was in the end zone, but which is also bad. I mean, there's I, no reason to not reach out because um, you there's no loss. I mean, if you fumble the ball, like what are the odds that they're going to pick it up and run it back? You have nothing to lose by reaching out, even if you do think you're in the end zone already. I genuinely yeah. think that it was an awareness thing, and that's not a good thing for him regardless because that shouldn't take any fault of him considering he's been playing in the NFL for like 15 years. Like you should know where you are on the field when you catch the ball. So I agree. Like he should have, he should have reached out. And I thought that to myself when I saw the replay, I was like, why didn't you just move the ball out like a little bit? Like even when you hit the ground and if the ball comes out, it's still a touchdown. Like you've established possession there. So I agree. I'm, I'm not going to absolve him of that, but I do think it was an awareness thing more so than a, like, oh, I'm in the end zone type thing. So, hopefully, Greg Olson will be back and 100% healthy soon because he's a better tight end than Ed Dixon, and I don't think that anybody's going to disagree with me on that. Uh, Cool the Jets a little bit. Racist. Anyway... (laughs) So who had more who had more who had more receiving yards on Sunday? <laughs> Ed Dixon. Did. I'm not gonna respond to that. Um I so, <laughs> so I guess to end our, our podcast. Whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa. What did you think of wait wait wait, I, wait, wait. No, 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 
know, I was just going to say, why don't we, why don't we talk about the brand, you know, Harrison Bucker thing? Apparently that's. Oh, no, no, no. Are we? That's, a little bit. That's, no, 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 no. I was all on okay, that. Okay, fine. On that we'll, train. we'll talk about it. We made a mistake. Harrison Butker should be our kicker. Yes, Graham Gano has been good this year. Harrison Butker has been good this year. Statistically, they're about the same. But as I've said, let's see, this is the 937th time. Graham Gano is 10 times more expensive. Harrison Butker is 10 times cheaper. That $3.5 million could have gone to buy us help at safety cornerback or any other position that we need help at. So, yes, we should have kept Harrison Butker and cut Graham Gano. Yeah, but Graham Gano's I'm cutting this part. <laughs> you would. <laughs> Fine. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Take over. Say what you want to say, John. Go oh, ahead. I was going to say, me and you have now. to do our give our review of Shula before we end anything. Oh, that's right. We do have to do yeah, that. That's go what ahead. we started with we went on the Ed Dixon tirade. Thanks for derailing us, Brad. Anyway, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, John. Go ahead. Give me I, it wasn't terrible. I wouldn't say it was good. I would. It was like very mediocre. We've talked about it a little bit earlier. My biggest gripe is that we're insistent on giving John Stewart the ball a ton and then wasting plays by giving John Stewart the ball. Um, here's the other thing. I did a little, little research. Oh, and... You know how we're like we always like to um run the ball inside the three yard line. We always like to do our jumbo set, hand the ball off, run up the middle. Yeah. Did you guys see? I posted this in the. I think it was in the Monday Morning Optimist. Uh, no, I did this in the post game thread. If um with less than three yards to the end zone, teams score forty two percent of the time when they run it. They score fifty nine percent of the time when they pass it. So of course we run it. So run, 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 run all the time. Oh, speaking of that, oh, speaking of running more. it inside the three, we haven't talked about Jonathan Stewart's comical attempt to jump over the defense and score. <laughs> I said that before the play. Like, he's kind of far away to try to jump over the line here. And Yeah, I mean, he was. It, it, it didn't work because he <laughs> it knew it was coming. But he to. Tried to... Best, guys. He tried. <laughs> it's all about it. A for effort. Brad, is, as we've just heard from Brad, it's all about the effort. He didn't quit. Um, with less than one yard to the end zone. So this is with, like, you know, goal to go on the one-yard line. 49% of the time, if you try to run it, you actually score. 69% of the time, if you pass it, you score. I don't get why teams are so slow to adapt to factual information. Now, let me ask this, and I'm sure you have the numbers. How many times are they running it versus passing it? Because if it's, like, 69% of eight times versus 49% of, you know, 200 times. It's enough for like a significant sample. Okay. Um, I will say this just go and talk for like 30 seconds while I pull it up. Okay. Well, um, I thought it was pretty comical that, uh, I forget which drive it was, but it was early on in the game. Carolina was on like the one or two yard line. They ran the ball up the middle twice. Didn't get it. And then on third down, like, we, I, I knew what was going to happen on that play, which was that Cam Newton was going to fake the run and then run the bootleg, and the Jets still fell for it. It's like, how have teams not figured out yet that on third down, Cam is going to hold on to the ball? Like, I just, I, I'm glad that it worked, obviously, because, you know, Panthers scoring touchdowns is conducive to them winning, but, like, how do you not know that yet? I'll like, tell you why. They've seen years and years of Panthers tape where we just hand the ball off up the middle and we don't ever roll out. Yeah, it's easy to get fooled by that one. Um, I looked at the wrong thing. Great job. Continue talking about stuff. Um, but Brad, but I will say, going? but here's <laughs> no, nah, just why why I do this. Um. I saw when I made that comment in the the thread, somebody said, you don't play football with a calculator. And I was like, that's kind of the problem. Somebody really said that. Yes. (laughs) Shout out to you, whoever you are. Um, I can't remember who it was. My response would have been, you're a calculator. (laughs) Um, Okay. So, so far there have been 
219 plays run from the opponent's one-yard line this year in the NFL. Um, the 69, that's a recurring number in this in this discussion. Have hey, them have been pass plays. Nice. nice. And um, 150 of them, which is actually 69%, have been run plays. Nice. <laughs> Numbers showing up all over the place. Um, so, yeah, it's 150 runs, 69 passes. Passes work 69% of the time. Nice. And runs work 49% of the time. Well, with those kind of numbers, what can you, what can you argue with there? That it, football's not played with a calculator. I can't believe somebody said that. Yeah. Um, so it just it goes along with the thing I said all season, where football uh, and NFL ratings, this is another thing. Maybe if they were like more willing to adapt to like, you know, the fact that it's 2017 and not 1976, maybe it would attract more viewers because it seems like football more than any other sport is refuses to embrace any forward thinking. Everything is built around conventional wisdom and toughness. Well, of course. That's why the Rams are so good. That's what we call tradition, bruh. Well, that's what the Rams are so good. Sean McVay's like doing new stuff, like breaking the huddle with 25 seconds left on the play clock so he can call audibles for Jared Goff. That is pretty brilliant, I must say. But Yeah. You um, see that, Brad? Yeah. Pretty cool. It's a good idea. Yeah, I we thought so, it. too. I, I'm a big fan of Sean McVay. I kind of hate that the Rams got him. I wish we could have found a way to get him. I mean, I'm, but, I'm happy that it's the Rams and it's not like, I don't know. Like I'm glad it's not someone like retires. the Cowboys or the Patriots yeah. or... I'm I'm glad it's the Rams. They deserve to be happy. Yeah, it's not like it's like the Packers who go from Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers. Like, at least it's a team. They at least they deserve to be happy. <laughs> How do you feel if you're St. Louis? You had yeah, Jeff Fisher for all those years. You, had, you were stuck with Jeff Fisher, and then they moved to L.A. and they get the shiny new head coach. And they're <laughs> so what, are, what are they? Eight uh, and three. Yeah, they just beat Phoenix. Phoenix too. Did us a favor. How long did it take them to win eight games under Jeff Fisher? Because they went like three and thirteen and four. They and never did. They, they never. Used, did, yeah. They never really broke the seven and nine. Yeah, wall. they said it. I, they said it somewhere that uh, with the Rams winning eight games is like the best season they've clinched their best season in like ten years. I'm gonna look wow. that up. Well, too bad we don't have a way to look that up. I'm <laughs> oh, Jesus. Um, I'm gonna go ahead and give my take on Mike Shula, which was okay. I felt he actually called a good game. Um, I think that Rams have won Billy eight. Will back me up on this. 2006. Yep, right, they went eight and eight in 2006, <laughs> and then they went. They won three, two, one, seven, two, seven, seven, six, seven, four, and now they've won eight. So yes, yep. they deserve to be happy. <laughs> Continue, Brian. Welcome to the Ram the Rams podcast, Fourth and Rams. This is Brian speaking. Fourth and Rams. Um, so I didn't hate Mike Shula's play calling. I thought it actually was pretty good considering the fact that Cam missed a lot of throws. And Billy will back me up on this and obviously go check out his work on CSR because he had a really good article about execution. But Assuming he doesn't get arrested and banned off of Twitter. <laughs> yeah, the execution wasn't there. And there were times where, like I mentioned earlier, Greg Olson was missed on what would have been an easy touchdown pass. Um, you can't, like, the offensive coordinator is always going to be the scapegoat. And there are times where Mike Shula has not called a good game. I'm not going to say he hasn't, but... Over the last few weeks, he's called pretty good games, and a lot of times the thing that was lacking more so than anything was the execution. And as a coach, he can't necessarily make that happen, but it seems like every year Mike Shula starts off the year with these real head-scratchers of play calls, and like as the season progresses, then you're like, wow, that was a really good play call. Like, for example, the Kalen Clay run, that was a really good play call. Um, he uses the first half of the season to intentionally do badly to set up the second half of the season. It's really I, a genius I can't, move. I can't substantiate that because we don't have any evidence of it, but, you know, maybe. But, yeah, my overall grade for Mike Shula was I was pretty optimistic about his play calling. 
seems like he knows what to do with the pieces he has, and they just need to execute. Did you say you're going to give him a grade? Because he didn't really give him a grade. Yeah, that, that wasn't a grade. <laughs> my grade was optimistic. Okay. He's like, I would give him a grade, and he did. my grade is he did okay. Yeah, I was expecting B, B minus, C. I'm not, a, I'm not a middle school teacher. I don't have to stick to the grading system. I can stick with optimistic, and you guys can accept that and be okay with it. Because. Well, I'm not, so. <laughs> well, I don't care, Brad. All right. Oh, I gave him a C minus. I'm You're also a not a middle school teacher. My issue like, was not as much with the. <laughs> My issue like wasn't as much with the situational play calling as it was just the personnel issues. Like I said. Yeah, I, I do that. wish I do wish you would have stopped handing it to Jonathan Stewart so much, but. Yeah, like we actually had showed some signs of aggression at the end there, throwing the ball when we were trying to salt the game away. Even though it took, it was only on third and long, but we still at least tried. <laughs> yeah, it was only when we absolutely had to get a third down. <laughs> but but you know. we've had in the past, we've gotten it's been run, run, and now it's like third and thirteen. We're like, I don't want to risk messing up. We'll run. So at least we trusted Cam to try to throw it, and then we got the roughing the passer, which was an absolutely horrendous play by that defensive lineman. Yeah, the, I cannot believe that that defensive lineman did that. You cannot risk. Yes, it's Cam, and he barely ever gets that call. But you cannot do that. Like it's just terrible, you, terrible, terrible. You're you're in a position to get the ball back with a chance to win the game, and you can't stop yourself. From, I mean, all you had to do was just not shove him. Like it's okay if you land on him, like grab him, make sure he doesn't fall over, or whatever. He just like landed. And it's like oh, oh look, free shot, and just shoved him to the ground right yeah. in front of the official. Yeah, you're not the Denver Broncos. You don't you don't <laughs> get those on calls. No, nah, if you really want to get away with it, you need to spear him with the crown of your helmet. <laughs> can't shove them to the ground fucking assholes man <laughs> <laughs> so anything else we want to go over here guys um i think you gotta give michael Pilardi some love that's oh, true yeah. michael Pilardi had himself a day and has had himself a season so i agree I thought, he should make the what? Pro Bowl. That's how good he's been. Like, real talk, no joke, no Brad talking about punters. Not, no, he has been a Pro Bowl punter all year. His what? name's not Brad Norman, Brad. I think you need to calm down for a minute. Just Is that why you like Brad Norman so much? Because you guys were name brothers? Yeah, That's probably what it was. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> um, Brad's got to stick together. My, my favorite thing about the Pilardi punting yesterday, he had like a 63-yard punt. That the Jets punt returner let land in front of him. I don't know what he was doing. I don't know if that was some Pilardi magic, but uh, yeah, you can't was, let a was punt odd. like that hit the ground. Unless he was afraid he wasn't going to catch it. It's those left-footed punters, man. Yeah, but if if you're afraid you're going to catch it, why are you back there returning them? You yeah. know, John, you you're make, you're joking about that, obviously, but it actually is true. Like the ball spins differently when a left-footed punter is punting the ball. Yeah, I I think I'm not saying that's the now. reason why he didn't return it. No. I'm just saying that I know it's an advantage. There, there is some there is some 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 grounds to that claim that yeah. Pilardi by the Pilardi is ninth in the league in gross punting average, fourth in the league in net punting average, and uh, fourth in the also, league. In, also doubles as a backup quarterback, so he yes, didn't get a chance to and fourth it. in the league in yards um, per return, which is not all him. That's also the coverage team, but that has to do with his hang time as well. That hang time, though. Mm. It's pretty good. Yep, pretty good. I, say, so, he's also, I feel like he's never kicked a touchback, but he's kicked four. Yeah, he generally tries to keep it within the 20, which is, you know, always nice. This is just memory serving, but I believe his touchbacks are those deals where basically every punter is going to kick it into the end zone. Uh, Uh, Like like when he's playing from the 35-yard line and (laughs) punting in the first place type deals. I've heard Pat McAfee's talked about those things before. He's like, as a punter, you absolutely hate it when the coach sends out the punt team in a situation like, coach, you're killing my stats. You're killing my net right here. Yeah, actually, I do. I do believe he did kick that fourth 
uh, fourth and one from the 35, he kicked that one into the end zone because that was one yeah, of the things did, that we because... were so mad at because it only we we saved 15 whole yards by not doing mm-hmm. not going for it, and then they yeah. drove down the field and scored. They what? They drove down the field and scored. Yes, they did. Well, let's not hang on. Covered uh, everything, Brian. Hang on the sins of our past here. The Bears game is over. It was unbearable, I know, but a that's what you did there. Um, well done. But I think we are good until the next time. We'll talk about. Saints playing the Panthers, which hopefully won't be as bad of a beatdown as it was. So, you guys, have any any yeah. lasting thoughts? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Taking us out strong right now. Did I cut off? Is that what happened? Oh, you you just kind of like mumbling and just fading out into. I think my I had to replug my mic in, but I was just saying. Panthers play the Saints. We're gonna talk about that more later, and yeah, that was that was it. That was all I was saying. We'll see you guys on Friday. Is what Brian is saying with the yeah, basically somebody from Kanowski Chronicles or something to talk to us about the Saints and what they've been doing so well and what their biggest concerns are and why the Panthers are gonna win. That's what Brian was trying to say. I don't know why it thinks I'm mumbling, but yeah, yeah, that's that's what I was trying to say. Anyway. All of us from Fourth and Short Podcast. Have a good, have a good, have a good rest of your day. See ya. Do you really want it? Do you guys hear my cat at all doing that? No, I didn't.
one ever wants to change themselves.